0: Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio. Join us each week as we delve into some of life's most complex questions. It's time to explore the unexplained. Hello and welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio. I am Cheryl Knight and I am here with my co-host Karen
1: Fraser. Hi Karen. Hey! How you doing today? I'm pretty well. Good. You know, except for the woodpecker that's mercilessly beating (laughs) on my house. I'm doing fine. That sounds like a lot of fun.
0: Not really.
1: All right. Well, today
0: I am very excited because we have a repeat guest over the years that we love talking to. We never get enough time because the time passes too quickly. But tonight we will be talking to Lloyd Auerbach. And I want to just tell you a little bit about him, and I'm not going to be able to fit in all of it, so I'll just give you a little brief description here. Lloyd is the Director of the Office of Paranormal Investigations and President of the Forever Family Foundation, an organization supporting research on life after death and the work of spirit mediums in the grieving process. He was also appointed to the Faculty of Atlantic University of Virginia Beach, Virginia, in late 2010, where he teaches an online parapsychology course. And he's also known as the Chocolate Maven, which uh, hopefully we can just touch on that real quick, as well as his role as Professor Paranormal. Also, I see here lately he's been doing a chocolate and mind reading show, which I just am dying to find out about that. So welcome, Lloyd.
2: Thanks very much.
1: So, Chocolate and mind reading <laughs> go together?
0: Of course
2: reading. they do. <laughs> yeah. Of course. So it's kind of combination chocolate, <laughs> guided chocolate tasting with a little bit of mind reading in between. Or mind reading with a little chocolate in between. Depends on how you look at it.
0: I think I would Spect- like that very much. Absolutely. Wow. That's great. And tonight we're going to be talking with you about your new book. It's called Psychic Dreaming, Dream Working, Reincarnation, Out-of-Body Experiences, and Clairvoyance. And the... Back cover has a couple sentences that it just it seems like there's so much in this book. And I wanted to read these couple of sentences real quick. It says, enhance your natural psychic abilities through dream working. Everyone is psychic to some degree. But did you know that your abilities can be enhanced while you dream? Psychic dreaming explores how parapsychology and dream work can be combined to boost creativity, improve your decision making and heal yourself and body and soul. And I was, I guess I just wanted to start by asking... Why psychic dreaming? Has this been a long time interest that you've had?
2: Well, um, you know, this is there are many facets of parapsychology of psychic phenomena, and I as a I'm really a generalist when it comes right, right down to an educator in the field. Um, although, of course, I'm better known for all the ghost stuff that I've done over the years, mm-hmm. uh, going back to Ghostbusters when that came out, and this is just one aspect of people being psychic that. I felt intrigued by was a suggestion to me by one of my editors a number of years ago. And it was just an area that I felt needed to be explored a little bit more.
1: Cool. Yeah. Well, so I write a dream interpretation column for paranormal Mm -hmm. underground. Is it similar or is it something totally different?
2: You know, there's really not a section on dream interpretation per se, except in the sense that following along with what uh, people like Gail Delaney and, A few others have written about in terms of how to interpret your own dreams, how to actually work with your own dreams and looking for your own symbology. So it's really looking for, since this focuses on psychic dreams, it's really looking for the psychic content of dreams or dreams that have psychic content to them but then there's the dream work part of it it's really about how to do dream incubation how to program your dreams remember your dreams better and then work with what comes out the other end
1: okay so when i go to sleep at night i say uh Mm -hmm. tell me what i need to know that's just what i say every night before i go to sleep is that me programming my dreams or is there a specific way to do it
2: well you can be much more specific you can have a particular problem you need to sleep on i mean the whole idea of let me sleep on it, kind of that idea, that statement that people make is mm-hmm. really going to sleep with the decision that you have to make and letting your unconscious percolate and come up with hopefully the appropriate solution for you. But you can be very specific. I mean, If you wanted to go in and uh, ask for a raise the next day from your boss, you could actually go to, as you're going to sleep, you could tell yourself, I need to dream about all the possible ways that this could go wrong or all the possible ways this could go right. So I make sure I ask for a raise the right way and see what comes out that way.
1: So then does it, it's, my experience with dreams is that they never come out straightforward. It's It's almost like the psychic symbols that you get. Nobody ever sits you down and says, here's what you need to do, step A, step B, step C. Instead, I see a purple giraffe skating, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so is that is that what comes out of those things or is it more it, clear?
2: It, it, it's gonna depend on the person, of course, but mm-hmm. you can ask, you can program yourself to be very specific so that the answer is clearer. And, of course, part of this is letting yourself have an actual precognitive experience. Now, one of the things about pre, uh, about psychic dreaming is that we're talking about actual literal information that comes into the dream from the outside using your ESP, your psychic ability, whether it's through precognition, being aware of the future, or something that's real time, or even pulling information that helps you make a decision. The thing about psychic dreams that's different is they tend to be much more literal, more real, more realistic. And they feel different to people. Uh, Over and over again, I hear from people, they knew it was a psychic dream because it was realer than real. It was ultra realistic. It felt different. It looked different. There was something that just didn't fit with the symbological types of dreams that people have.
0: And so I see that you also talk about lucid dreaming. And and that is something that's fascinating to me. i've I've had many many lucid dreams is that just the mind's power is it a psychic ability what what exactly is that
2: it's definitely not a psychic ability uh, unless you make it psychic i mean when you're in the lucid state when you are aware that you are dreaming which seems to be a very psychological thing Mm -hmm. uh, you can tell yourself you know well instead of altering reality as i see it here in my dreamscape I'm going to be psychic, I'm going to be a medium and I'm going to communicate with my grandfather or I'm going to do some remote viewing right now or I'm going to travel out of my body and go someplace and make sure people see me at that end. Mm -hmm. You can do any any sort of thing because, again, you're kind of in control in the lucid dream situation. But you could be, that's a really great opportunity to ask for future information uh, and to see what plays out at that point. You know, the key, of course, is always being is being able to rem- remember your dreams at the other end when you wake up.
0: Yeah. And I tend to remember almost all of my dreams for those who don't. I'm sure that you probably cover that here. But yeah. what are just a couple of things that you can tell them they can start off doing right away to try and, re- and, and do more in their dreams and remember them?
2: Well, there's, there's two things. One of them is as you're going to sleep, tell yourself that you will remember your dreams or at least some of them. But the other part of it is when you wake up, it's really important whenever you wake up, if you have any content in your mind at that point, to write it down, tell someone, say it out loud if you live alone, or better yet, you know, record record what you just said, and then go back over that later on, because that reinforces the dream content, and just the act of doing that a few times will get you to start remembering more and more dreams. It actually is this very interesting, self-fulfilling cycle that happens, a self-reinforcing mm-hmm. cycle.
1: Yeah. yeah, since I started doing the dream interpretation, I don't forget my dreams are very seldom <clears throat> do I forget yeah. them anymore.
2: And, and when I was writing the book, the entire time I was writing the book, I had never had such dream recall in my life, and the day that I oh. turned in the manuscript, that was it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How funny. So, um, I've had, like, where I wake up sometimes, and I wake up with a phrase in my head or an image in my head, or things like that. Um, and those tend to go pretty quickly if I don't capture them. Mm-hmm. But but is that an element of psychic dreaming then? Is that trying yeah. to tell me something?
2: Well, certainly your unconscious is trying to tell you something, but whether it's um, psychic information or not would depend on whether it relates to re- the real world in but some sure. way, shape, or form.
1: So how do you discern? How do you tell the difference between um, A psychic dream versus just a processing dream versus maybe a dream that's a a visitation from somebody who's passed.
2: Well, the third, the the visitation from somebody who's passed is a psychic dream. Okay. All right, because that's basically you are having content uh, or an experience in which you are, in in essence, um, telepathically communicating with somebody. If someone is truly coming through in the dream state, you're having a mind-to-mind communication with somebody who's passed. So that absolutely is a psychic dream. Okay. Um, there are two things. First of all, again, uh, people tend to know that the dream is different. What that means, though, will depend on how, how you recognize the information in your dream as coming true. You know, we, can have, we may have a lot of psychic dreams all the time, but the content, the things that we remember from those dreams, we never look to see whether or not those things actually happened or will happen. We don't know the words verify the feedback the factual stuff we don't verify the feedback that we have uh, it's only typically after the fact when we remember that dream then suddenly we see something on the news says like i just dreamt about that last night there's no way i could have known that mm-hmm. so now you know that you had a psychic dream if yeah. it's something that, that is of the future then you often don't know until the event happens or until you're about to enter that right. event it's kind of the start of that uh, but most of the time. When you wake up, people, you would recognize that there was something very different. It felt, again, this is one of those indefinable things. The dream felt different. You know, it's it's hard when we're talking about subjective experience to put it into the right words. You know, it's like trying to explain to somebody what it means, what what it feels like when you're in love. Right. Trying to put that in words without using the word love. (laughs) Right. It's next to impossible.
1: It's ineffability like people talk about yeah. with like a near death experience or something. Right. I understand. Right. Yeah, I so get it.
2: For us it's really about the verification, the validity okay. of the information.
1: Okay. So I have all of my life then and I just I guess I never really thought of these as psychic dreams, which duh. I <laughs> dream about earthquakes and they happen. And mm-hmm. I dream about school shootings and they happen. I never asked for those. It just is what I dream about, but there's not anything I can do about them, so why do I get that information?
2: Well, the earthquake you certainly can't do anything about um, other than to stay out of the way of the earthquake. Right. You know, that's the thing about natural disasters, Mm -hmm. and as far as the school shootings go, you know, the reality is, if you had enough specific information and somebody to listen to you, you actually possibly could change things.
1: Yes, but I don't.
2: no, you, but you don't. And that's the problem with psychic information quite often. is that, And this can be either because the recall itself, you're not getting all the, the correct information through that, or it could be that, um, for whatever reason, psychic information is often partial. So that we don't always get everything we need, even though the best remote viewers might be missing a piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Uh, there was a case of a guy who called the FAA back in the late 70s. I actually spoke to the FAA um representative who had spoken to the guy m- many years later and this man it was a computer salesman he was not he was not a psychic he had but he had a recurring dream he lived in the chicago area he had a recurring dream of a jumbo jet going down at o'hare and everybody dying on the cr- in the crash he knew approximately what time of night it was you know that was just after sunset you know not too long after sunset Of course, sunset changes every night he knew that it wasn't snowing or raining but didn't know the temperature that was out there, just knew that there wasn't any snow on the ground. He saw the kind of plane it was, aircraft it was. It was a jumbo jet. You know, the number that all the seats were full. Um, He did not know the airline. He did not know the date. He just knew it was going to happen soon. He did not know the flight number. He did know what was wrong with the aircraft, however. He had very specific detailed information from his dream about the fault in the aircraft The problem being, and they took him very seriously because of his description of the fault, and they checked him out, and he wasn't an aerospace guy, and he didn't know. There's no way he really would have known that this particular small item could possibly have caused such a cascade of failure. The biggest problem was was two things. One, he didn't have the specifics, so they didn't know what aircraft or even what airline to warn. Um, The second piece was that the the fault in the aircraft would have taken the, the craft, the jet, out of commission for 24 hours. So without knowing what it, even what airline, let alone what you know, what particular plane it was gonna be, you couldn't close down and shut down all the airline's jumbo jets. It just was not possible at O'Hare or coming through O'Hare. So the best they could do is send out a general notice, which he said they did, just to watch out for this fault if you happen to be working on the aircraft. And then it actually event event the event actually happened a couple of weeks later. So it there was nothing he could have done without that one vital piece of some vital piece of information given the problem in the aircraft because mainly because it wasn't practical it could have been done i mean technically they could have shut down every you know told every airline to take every flight out one by one and and do it but from a practical perspective that wasn't possible
1: but why did this guy get the dream
2: you know the why we just may tune in to certain future events for whatever reason uh, it's hard to know. Uh, sometimes it's because the event affects us direct directly, you know, their personal events. Sometimes because they hit us emotionally, a lot of people tuned in to Princess Diana's death. Although they got it more as an emotional piece than they actually got it as a uh, uh, you know she's gonna die kind of thing. same thing with nine eleven. 11 so psychic information is not typically not that kind of thing unless you've been doing it a long time consciously and and even working through it. And even then, you may be missing some vital piece of information.
0: That's super, I'm not psychic, but that must be super frustrating for those, Karen. I mean, you've experienced it. I just, it's, <laughs> it's like, so it must be such a feeling of helplessness. Ho- helplessness. Thank you. Yeah. It,
2: it's, wow. It, it's understandable. I mean, there's really not, there are certain things we just can't do anything about. There are terrible things that happen in the world. We can't do it personally do anything about them. Even getting people to listen, if we had real information, is, is not always that easy. And we just can't take, we it can't take it personally in that, in that sense. We can certainly feel for the people who get injured, certainly in a school shooting situation. Oh, yeah. uh, so that's, you know, that's a really terrible thing. It's horrible. Uh, on the other side of it, I got to say that people also have dreams of very positive events in the world, but they don't, they don't get bothered by those because they're positive. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. That makes a lot of sense. So
0: I'm wondering where astral projection comes into play with dream working. How, how does that tie in? Because I know someone who can astral project at will, they say, and it's very interesting to me that, and, and then they can verify that it actually did happen by talking to people that they interacted with during that astral projection.
2: Yeah, well, we use the term out-of-body experience uh, okay. because astral projection has a lot of baggage to it. Okay. Um, are they the same thing though? Yeah, they're the same thing. The idea is okay. well, if you go by the old occult literature, astral projection you're sending a, uh, your astral body out of yourself and that's not what happens. You also don't have a silver cord that connects your your form to your body. I mean that only ha- the silver cord thing only has been reported in about 5% of actual experiences. So and it's been speculated that those 5% of people are too afraid or need a psychological crutch, which is why they even think they have an ast- a cord. Hooking them together, um, so it, it's really uh, according to the people who have done it on a regular basis through research. People like uh, the late Alex Tanis, and Ingo Swan, uh, and Keith Harari, who was a research subject for quite some time, who did it all his life. It's not like they were sending their soul out of their bodies; they were doing a pro- kind of projecting their consciousness out. But their center of perspective was with that little space probe that went out. Alex Tanis used to call it Alex Two. He sent out a part of his consciousness to the other location, which could look just like him. So he was seen on occasion at that other location. But for us, what's important is the ability to bring information back, to observe, bring information back that can be verified. And that does happen in the dream state, and it also happens in the state between sleep and wakefulness, which is called the hypnagogic state. Those are the most common.
1: But is it like so? Is it like remote viewing then? Because to me, that's it. I, and I understand remote it, viewing is a protocol, correct?
2: As no, remote, Well, ability? not really. You know, okay. there, is, there are protocols for remote viewing. Uh, there's controlled remote viewing, which is a protocol that was actually um, requested of the, the unit, the Stargate unit, by the CIA to to have a training protocol. But it actually was not a very successful training protocol because most people couldn't do it that way and. In general, the standard remote viewing uh, protocol, which is basically siti- learning to sit down, blank your mind, and not be judgmental about the information that comes through. It- it's actually a lot simpler than that lengthy, controlled remote viewing protocol. Um, remote view- think of remote viewing as watching TV. All right, so you're watching okay. a live event. You're watching the Grammys or the Oscars, okay? okay. So that's, that's your TV. That's remote viewing. Out-of-body experience, you'd actually be in the audience, You'd be at home watching it on TV and part of you would actually be sitting in the audience watching the stage from within the audience. You're actually there. So you're traveling. So think of it as part of you is actually there. You're the camera that's actually present at the location as opposed to the passive viewer of the information. Okay. Interesting. Ingo Swan, who was the person who taught most of the Army officers the remote viewing process... Uh, was well known as someone who did out-of-body travel. In fact, he wrote a book in which came out in 1976 called To Kiss Earth Goodbye, where as part of what he tried, he tried to go beyond the Earth itself. So in his book, he talks about going out-of-body to Saturn and Jupiter, and he describes features of the planets, the two planets, that were verified by NASA's Voyager probe after his book was, was published, but were ridiculed by a number of people before the the voyager got there Hmm. so he actually saw the structure of saturn's rings being braided he saw some rings around jupiter he said saw a number of other items that were actually in the book that were verified by the space probe so you know in his case he felt he actually went there but he also knew he could also do remote viewing which was a different way of perceiving things was bringing information to him instead of going out to get the information
1: so can anybody learn to do
2: this you know um most people can learn some parts of this, but it seems that people have an aptitude to learning or to doing certain different applications of psychic ability. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like art. People who can paint may not be able to sculpt. And people who play musical instruments, some, some have an aptitude for stringed instruments. Others can play the flute. Some people can only play the drums, forget about anything else. It's we seem to have an inbuilt aptitude for certain things creatively. And certainly psychic ability is a creative ability.
0: What I want to try to do myself after learning a, a little bit more about dream working is, is try and use it to problem solve or relieve stress. Something that mm-hmm. I think we <laughs> will, will, would help day to day, I think, for a lot of us. What are a few things that people can do to begin doing those, you know, problem solving, relieving stress through dream working?
2: Well, the first thing is to learn, to, to take those steps I mentioned before about learning to remember your dreams, because it doesn't do you any good if you can't remember them. Yeah. So really, you need to be a little regimented in talking about, writing down, uh, and, and going over your dreams in the morning when you wake up. That's the first thing. Once you start getting to that habit, and even while you're doing that, before, as you're going to sleep, you must tell yourself, I will remember my dreams. And one of the, I gotta tell you, if you're if you're doing all that, and the dreams are coming out, and you're getting bored doing that, it's not going to help at all. Yeah. So, you have to have right. some kind of real interest. You have to be interested in doing it. If you're not interested in doing it, the boredom is going to take over everything else, and you'll stop doing it. Yeah, that that's really what it's about. First, is remembering, and then once you've done that, you can start programming yourself before you go to sleep.
1: Okay, Can you also tell yourself that your dreams that you want to remember your dreams and that you want them to make sense so that they're not
2: always- <laughs> Yes, you can. yeah, you can do that. And you can tell yourself, I want to have a dream um, not just to role play asking for that that uh, raise, but I want to have a dream of the actual event that's going to happen. So okay. you can ask yourself, you can ask for a precognitive dream. You can also, but know that you know the most important thing about precognition that we have learned, is that while there seem to be some fixed events like earthquakes and hurricanes, we can change events. We can change things. The future is in motion. It is probable. It is not absolute. Right. Consequently, we can change things uh, quite a bit.
1: So just really, I I guess I'm going to get a little esoteric here because I think about things like this. So we can use dreams to possibly change things. What does that say about, like, the structure of time?
2: Well, um, we're using dream. You know, you have to think about what precognition seems to be is picking up on the most probable futures. Okay. The most likely things. hmm And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, um, a lot of times that most likely future is altered because someone makes a decision somewhere or there's an unforeseen or, or something that was not included in the process of looking at the future. Now, I'll give yeah. you a really good example, a very practical example. Every day, almost everybody goes to the oracle to find out what to wear when we go outside. The, oracle, <laughs> the weatherman. Or, the weatherman, right. The oracle tells us what we should wear. It tells us you know, what the weather's, what we can expect. And, of course, that meteorologist tells us what's, what's going on now what's going on in the next few hours, and then we have the five-day forecast, right? Now, how yes. often does that five-day five forecast change?
1: Uh, it, like, pretty much, I live in Washington State, so pretty much always. Yeah.
2: Okay, and it's it's changing now. Meteorology is based on understanding the patterns that the weather has been before, trying to look at all pattern, weather patterns all over the world and what that indicates for our local weather pattern. But all it takes is a minor thing that they did not include, or the model being slightly off, and the future has now changed. So it's very much the same thing. This is why psychics cannot accurately predict the future. Uh, Unfortunately, um, you know, psychics are expected to predict the future, and that's partly because there are a lot of of folks out there who claim to be psychic or actually are psychic who are unwilling to admit that they can be wrong or that the future changes. I mean, the best psychics will tell you that what I'm going to tell you right now is what I see for the future, but it doesn't take much to change that. You right. can do something after I give you the information. Someone else can. It might change things.
1: Right. So th- when you were talking, it made me think about the James Randi Psychic Challenge. Yeah. So is that some is some of that what you were just talking about? The reason why nobody's ever collected that million dollars?
2: The best people haven't taken the challenge. Really? Most most people. If you read, first of all, that challenge is really not being offered these days. Although you keep hearing different things from the Randy foundation, but he shut down the challenge a number of years ago officially. Mm-hmm. And if you read the rules, which are still up on the website, there are several issues. Um, and I've been kind of, uh, a thorn in his side for a really long time about this challenge, mm-hmm. uh, for a number of reasons. Number one from this, it's, it's cited by most skeptics and debunkers as like the ultimate. The fact is that someone winning the million dollars will not change anyone's mind at all. It would not True. do anything to change anybody's mind. Someone walks away with a million dollars. However, if you read the rules of the challenge and the test, number one, in general, the individual has to be tested by a local group or someone else first, who may not be as good at doing setting up a challenge and being fair as Randy purports to be and Randy's people purport to be. So that's number one. So you have a hurdle you have to get over there. Second thing is it's been the case that the Randy Foundation basically owns all the rights to everything. You can't sue them. You can't. Uh, they, own your re- they basically own your reputation after you win. Really? Yeah, pretty much. Oh. Mm. So there's, there's an issue here. You win, so you win the challenge. They say you cheated. You can say I didn't cheat. They say you cheated. You can't sue them. You can't do anything. They can basically do whatever they want, and you can't do anything. Right. You do have a million dollars, so you have to decide what's more valuable. And the other thing that's a question is, are they going to be fair in the way they test you? Now, I'm pretty sure from people I've talked to that the – because you do have to agree upon – both sides have to agree upon what the actual conditions are for the test. The problem is the timing. Um, one of my colleagues was, in, was involved in the testing someone, and they they basically tweaked the, – they tested her and tested her and tweaked the test – until the controls were, were comfortable on both sides. And then, this had been for hours, so basically she's going through tests for hours. So she's really tired. And everything's agreed upon, and now they say, okay, now is the real one. Now she's really tired. This is not no, the best that. time for her, you know, so. Yeah. But they said, well, if you wait till tomorrow, we have to do it again because we may have to tweak the controls again. Oh, uh, wow. So it's, it's not just about the, about the conditions. It's about the timing and whether a person can take the test fresh, you know that that kind of. There's a lot of a lot of things. I actually showed the um, the rules and the test conditions to a couple of entertainment attorneys a number of years ago. One of whom represented sports uh, professional sports figures, and I asked them just flat out. I say, well, if this was a baseball player or a football player, and the test was to to do you know whatever performance it was to win a certain amount. Um, would you let your client do it? And one of them basically looked it over and said, I would not let them do it, even if it was like a minor. He was claiming almost no ability whatsoever because I would Hmm. lose control of my client.
1: Sounds like a reality TV contract.
2: Yeah, given the way reality (laughs) TV contracts are these days, um, and I've seen even the release forms of those things. Yeah, I think you're right. They're terrifying, yeah. Yeah, I won't sign them anymore, so without changes.
0: Before we take a quick break, I have one more quick question dealing with prophetic dreams. My husband, Chad, said that he heard, had heard that people who have sleep apnea are actually more likely to have prophetic dreams. Is there any basis in reality for that?
2: I have not read or seen anything to that effect.
1: Okay. Just curious.
2: Yeah. That I mean, was, okay. I've not seen any. Any? You any, haven't
1: seen any correlations or.
2: I haven't personally seen any correlations, but I haven't seen any literature on that either, okay. any studies.
1: Okay. All right.
0: All right. Great. Well, let's take a quick break, and we will be back in just a minute. You are listening to Paranormal Underground Radio Close Encounters of the Christ Kind. Science fiction author Douglas Brody retells the life of Jesus according to ancient alien theory, as the Bible's angels are revealed to be extraterrestrials, beamed down to create a hybrid golden child who may just change the history of humankind for the better if another visitor from a far planet named Satan doesn't arrive first. The Planet Jesus Trilogy, Book 1, Flesh and Blood. For full background material and ordering information, visit planetjesustrilogy.com where the New Testament meets the twilight zone. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine.
2: And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions.
0: If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit paranormalunderground.net and start
1: exploring the unexplained today. Hey everyone, if you can't get enough of Paranormal Underground, then I've got good news for you. We're on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and I think even on MySpace, and nobody has a MySpace page anymore. So check out Paranormal Underground on your favorite social media site today.
3: Hey everyone, this is Winter Balefire, contributor for Paranormal Underground Magazine, correspondent for Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark, and now I'm very happy to announce a published author. My first poetry book, Love Letters Destroyed, is now available on Amazon.com, Lulu.com, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers. E-books are also available. You can also check out pseudosynthpress.com for information on signed copies. Again, that's Love Letters Destroyed by Winter Balefire. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy.
4: Hey, are you looking for a new Paranormal podcast? Check out All Day Paranormal with me, Crystal Vermus,
5: And me, Manny Vega.
4: We come to you every week with the latest in supernatural news and entertainment.
5: That's right, and you can find out more by going to getspooked.net.
4: And don't forget to check out our YouTube show by going to getspooked.net slash YouTube. All right, and we are back. You are
0: listening to Paranormal Underground Radio, and we are talking with Lloyd Auerbach. Are we ready to move on from dreams, or do, do you have another question, Karen, on dreams?
1: Um, you know, I could go on with dreams <laughs> no. forever, but no, we can move on because Lloyd is a treasure trove of information. Yes. a paranormal, a paranormal and psy-goodness. That's a good description. <laughs> Thank you. You can, you can use that if you
0: like. <laughs> okay, I will.
1: Put that in your marketing.
0: I'm really interested in psychokinesis and the reality of that. So, psychokinesis my, okay, so that's being able to move objects with your energy or your mind. And is can people actually do that? And if they can, how?
2: Well, first of all, you know, that's a very narrow view of what psychokinesis is because it, <laughs> it covers, that would be what people call telekinesis. Aha, um, psych, okay. Psychokinesis is much more than that. It runs a gamut from really affecting energy systems, um, electronics, Uh, You can affect pretty much anything. So the very definition is movement by the mind. Mm -hmm. That is the literal translation for psychokinesis. But in reality, we're talking about mind-matter interaction, and actually mind-matter and energy interaction. It's how consciousness affects the matter of things around us. And we do mind over matter, even on our own bodies. Uh, On a negative basis, we do that with psychosomatic illness where we're stressed out and we get a physical illness or ailment because either we believe we have it or because the stress causes it. And we can many people can heal themselves also. There are a number of people using visualization techniques and other things to heal themselves. And so we're really talking about the mind itself, consciousness itself affecting our own bodies is part of psychokinesis, part of PK as well. Uh, I've got a book coming out also from Llewellyn in July which is covering this entire topic. Um, I see PK... You know, it's really interesting. The psychology behind doing mind over matter is very similar to performance psychology in sports. Mm. So there's a direct Mm. tie to those things. And it's very clear that even more so certainly than ESP, where belief is tied to extrasensory perception performance, whether you believe you can do it, whether you believe it's real, it's even more connected in psychokinesis. Because even Mm. witnessing things with PK can freak people out. Um, mm-hmm. There was a British researcher named Kenneth Batcheldor back in the 60s and 70s who pointed out that the psychology of psychokinesis, in, in moving objects, bending metal, things like that, is often about um, or what prevents us is two things. Witness inhibition. It's so weird, partly because we're told it's so weird in our society, that mm-hmm. even seeing it causes you not to see it, perceive it. You just ignore it. You write it off. So you don't believe it. And the other is called ownership resistance that we do not want to even own the idea that we can move objects with our mind or we can affect electronics. Uh, Poltergeist phenomena, that one particular situation, is actually coming from living people. Uh, That's the way we define it in parapsychology, that we're talking about Psychokinetic activity that comes from the living. And that's not just moving objects, crashing objects. It can be wraps in the walls. It can be water bursts and fire, little mini fires. It can be, these days, a lot of electronic interference, a lot of in- electronics being affected. Uh, devices malfunctioning, devices acting in ways they shouldn't act, devices like appliances turning on and off without even being plugged in.
1: How about batteries draining?
2: Batteries draining might come from that as well. Um, all of those things can be part of this and they do happen but the thing is that poltergeist phenomena is generally from the unconscious not from the conscious mind the unconscious like in dreams where we can do anything because we have no blocks and inhibitions when we're conscious we are basically prevented from doing pk because we don't believe it we don't even believe it's possible Even if you think it's amazing
1: that we can block ourselves from doing, I mean, because that's some pretty cool stuff that I'd like to be able to do.
2: You know, it is, and it's not. I teach people to do PK on a very minor basis. uh, Just moving some little targets that are balanced on basically things that can spin Mm -hmm. on, on a pin. And unfortunately, what's really interesting is Mm -hmm. I can get um, half the group doing it fairly quickly. But of those, if I have 20 people and 10 of them are doing it, of those ten people, probably seven or eight of them, when they see it start spinning, they, they kind of sit back and freak out a little bit, and it stops. And they can't get it going again.
1: Hmm. So wh- so they've strengthened their block.
2: They have freaked them. the it's fact too that much, they, right? it's too much for their minds. It's, You know, this idea that we can affect matter directly with our minds is difficult because we don't like taking responsibility for anything let alone our thoughts getting turned into action. Right.
0: So we sense. we interviewed someone a while back who came to realize he was responsible for poltergeist activity. Uh-huh. And then when he realized this, it stopped. Yep. And he and he could and even if he tried to recreate it consciously, it 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 couldn't be done. He he couldn't
2: That's pretty normal. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty normal. It, it we've sounds had a couple like people, that, yeah. over the years we've had a couple people who um, once working with them, we were able to have them do it consciously for a while, but then after a while because all all the people were freaking out around them a little bit <laughs> that it just got too much for them and it, for their psychology and it stopped.
0: Hmm. So, going back to dreams real quick, I've had yeah. d- recurring dreams about being telekinetic and I wake mm-hmm. up and I'm sure that it real it really happened. Like it, it it was so real, like I knew that it happened and then I realized darn it, it was just a dream because it was so cool in the dream.
4: So, yeah. yeah.
0: I guess this is just
2: I don't know if this is
1: she wants to be cool is what she said <laughs> but why
0: can't she well of course all.
2: why can't I be cool and do this stuff you know why can't we fly like superman I mean sure technically, yeah technically we should be able to but that would right. be really freaky for people that's true if yeah. if all of this is
0: an illusion is it is it all an illusion if it is
2: what all an illusion
0: well just it, it everything it, it! <laughs> No. Yep. <laughs> Karen, you're better describing it than I am. It was a short
2: hairy guy who was in the <laughs> Apple family. <laughs>
1: well basically basically I think, Cheryl, what you're asking is that that there's that this stuff all happens and if this stuff all happens, clearly there is science that underlies it. There has to be, because if it's phenomena that exists in our universe, there is a scientific underpinning for it. Am I going in the direction where you're trying to Yes, thank you. I knew
2: you would express it better than... But we just haven't
1: discovered that, yes?
2: That's it. That's exactly what you said. Um, The problem is we have not learned all there is to learn about how the universe works. We have a, a lack of understanding of how our minds work altogether. In fact, there's not even a consensus in science as to whether consciousness is... A trick of the brain, or is something more than the brain? There's no consensus at this point. It's one I of the just
1: biggest. I a study about
2: that. It's or one of the biggest questions, hear? and it really depends on whether people are approaching um, con- the consciousness question from a materialist perspective, or from a non-materialist perspective. Something that's a little bit more open. Uh, you know, you have people who see see our consciousness as kind of wetware. We're programmed. That's it when you die you die there's nothing more to it but even right. while we're in, we're in the body we're just kind of meat robots that's all we are we just think we think we have, yeah we have,
1: the binary, we have binary code and it's just, right. we're just a series of answers to yes or no questions
2: kind of like that yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's a lot that indicates where there's much more than that going on so it just depends on how you look at the evidence and what's going on and, and really you know, I get asked all the time can you, you know, prove the existence of ghosts it's like when I prove to me that you're conscious because all we know are sub- we only have subjective experience to show that we're conscious. We are on, you know. I don't know that you're self-aware. You tell me you're self-aware. How do I know you're self-aware?
1: I think, therefore, I am.
2: Yeah, which doesn't mean anything because computers can say that.
1: Yeah, that's true.
2: Yeah, it's Still, they're, they're,
1: no it's, answer, Cheryl. No, tell you.
2: Tell you. And for psychokinesis, the hard thing about PK, honestly, is. It seems every time, and this, this is not just me, there's, there's many researchers over the years who have tried to detect if there's an energy involved in PK. Okay. And you know what? Sometimes there is something detectable, and sometimes there's not. So, for example, the human body produces or can produce an electrostatic field, a static electric. We can actually produce a pretty heavy one, pretty big one, not consciously, unconsciously. Um, There are videos of a Russian psychic by the name of Nina Kolagina from the 1960s. You ever see any old black and white stuff? Yeah, it's exactly Any old black and white
1: stuff? Yeah, she she did
2: this. She was Nina Kolagina or Nelia Mikhailova, depending on what name she was using at that time. Um, When when I was putting together, um, working on the book, which came out as ESP Wars, um, the most recent edition came out in 2016, I was working with uh, the head of our Stargate, former head of our Stargate remote viewing project, but we had contributions from Russians who were doing psychic research for many years, and there were a couple of scientists and other folks, and there was a passing comment about Nina Kalagana in there, which was interesting to me, because it stood out. And it was, oh, when Nina Kalagana was doing her thing, we figured out how she was doing it. And she was moving things. This is bizarre when you think about it. She was creating an electrostatic field. However, a lot of the things that she was moving weren't subject to electrostatic fields. They shouldn't have moved when just a field. Turned out she was sweating, which, you know, putting out a lot of exertion for that. And in her sweat, when they analyzed her sweat, they found an excess amount of histamines. Okay. And it's, You know, we take antihistamines for allergies, right? Mm-hmm. So the histamines, she touched the object before she'd actually move it. The histamines are going on the object. The histamines react to the static electric field So here she is creating histamines and a static electric field, and that's what moves it. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, Some researchers would say, okay, now we figured out it's no longer psychokinesis. Except that I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone who could consciously create histamines in their sweat.
1: No, no, it's still mind. It's still
2: matter. And on top of that, we've looked for electrostatic fields with other people who have moved objects, and guess what? Nothing. We don't always find electrostatic fields.
1: Hmm. So there's not a consistent finding. It's not repeatable.
2: No, it's not repeatable. Uh, the mm. understanding, the underpinning of it is not repeatable. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, George Hansen, wrote a book called The Trickster. Um, and it's the trickster and the paranormal. And his, his feeling and looking at PK especially was whatever the process is that's in us comes with it, the trickster of... Native American kind of fame, the coyote, in that we can we try to figure it out and it kind of gives us a little tease of what's going on and the next thing you know, it's a different explanation. Uh, it's the different method. If there's five ways to move an object, all five of them will be rotating somewhere in there. So you'd have oh. to actually figure out every possible way that object can move on its own with our mind directing it. And you'd have to have the science and detection devices to detect every single one of them so that you hit the right one and then what if there's a way that it can move that we're not even thinking about
1: good lord it's, it's and this difficult. is this is why this is why things like quantum physics are so difficult for like even geniuses to grasp is because our universe is just really downright weird and we don't we, understand it
2: right and and you know the, the thing about science is that science is and should be a changing thing it should be a um it's not really a dogmatic system it, well, it is a, a body of knowledge that continues to learn. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, people in some fields of science don't take it that way. Right. Uh, there was someone uh, recently. There was an article um, where they someone interviewed. I think his name was Brian Cox from the CERN super collider. And I don't know how this. I don't even know why he was even asked this question, but he made some statement about ghosts don't exist, and we've proven that at the at the super collider. Hmm. Because they haven't, they've been detecting all sorts of particles and we found nothing that indicates ghosts. And that was his explanation that the, the ghosts don't exist. Hmm. And fortunately, and of course, my reaction immediately was, why would a ghost be haunting the super collider? <laughs> That'd be, I mean, I, if I'm a ghost, I'm not going to stand in the particle beam. That's kind of a dumb thing to do.
1: Good point. Oh, well, no. Just- <laughs> unless I want to go really, really fast in a circle and crash into I- something. <laughs>
2: Right. Um, unless I thought maybe it would bring me back to life or something. Uh, you know, so there was a science journalist who uh, did a critique of that article. He starts out by saying, I don't believe in ghosts. But why would he think, and he started out by saying, why would a ghost be in the super collider? But then he went on to say that there are many particles they're still looking for. So, his, th- so the Cox's statement that they found what they found, that pretty much everything, is kind of a limited concept because they have not found everything. We talk about dark matter and dark energy. Right. We haven't found any physical physical indication. We don't know what that means, what that actually is. We haven't detected dark energy. We haven't detected dark matter. And actually, one of the folks who came up with the term dark matter and dark energy uh, was a, an astrophysicist who actually works at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab here locally at a press conference that I sat in on a few years ago said... Uh, when he was asked, you know, when you say dark energy, or dark matter, does I mean it's invisible? And he said, No, no, it means we're in the dark. We don't know what it is.
1: <laughs> we, yes. Well, you know, <laughs> it's like it's like science believes that something like ninety percent of our DNA is junk, and to okay. me, that just doesn't seem right because it's got it has to have a purpose. We just haven't found out what that purpose is. And there so- are
2: geneticists geneticists who don't think that way who are trying to figure out how the chromosomes relate. In fact, I know one geneticist at Stanford who's in very interested in finding genetic material related to remote viewing ability.
1: Wow. Oh, cool. See, I like to see that there are actual scientists doing that work. I know that you, that you do the work, and there are, there are some at some universities. Uh, does Gary Schwartz still do the stuff he does? at uh, Was he in Arizona?
2: University of Arizona, yeah.
1: University yeah. of Arizona, is but, he still doing you know, that?
2: He's still doing various types of research. The best the mediumship research has moved on to the Winbridge Institute.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: His, uh, someone, uh, Julie Beischel, who used to work with Gary. Um, mm-hmm. She does the work on, at her nonprofit organization. She does the best mediumship research. Uh, and then there are people like Jeffrey Tarrant, who's doing brain research with mediums to look at the different brain states that are going on there. So there are a few, there are a few people here and there who, if they're associated with the university, they often have to fight to stay uh, to keep their tenure and to stay there because there's so much academic prejudice against even even looking into this topic, unless you're going at the topic from a completely negative standpoint, uh, you right. can't even go, go at it at, at, at a let's see what's really there kind of perspective.
1: Which is interesting to me because if you've watched the societal shift, and, and maybe you disagree with this because you've you've been around this for years and years and you've seen the trends, but to me it looks like there's we're shifting towards more belief that these things are possible and more belief about things even like that we can heal ourselves and that we're our own placebos and, and all of that stuff. So why is academia not shifting with that?
2: Because the funding hasn't shifted with that. Mm-hmm. You know, that I can tell sense. you right off the bat that if there was a lot of money available to do psychic research mm-hmm. at a university, at universities, mm-hmm. if somebody came up with like a billion dollars for multiple grants and things, they'd be, we would, parapsychologists would not be the ones getting it. We'd be pushed out of the way by other folks, mm-hmm. other un, the universities and everybody else jumping on board to try to do it.
1: Yeah. Does the Institute of Noetic Sciences, they do They do some of this research too, yes?
2: They do research into psychic phenomena, yes, they do. And, a num- and meditation and a number of other areas as well.
1: So do you think that, um, in general, how, what do you think about the caliber of the research that's actually being done?
2: The ca- Well, if you look at... The research in parapsychology and our and our related folks, and really were to read through the research reports and compare them to some research in to research in other fields, you'd find that ours is often certainly better controlled and better described in many respects than what psychologists do, uh, experimental psychology, most other social sciences, and it's of the same caliber as some of the top research in other fields. The problem. For us, we've been set upon so often by our critics that people in my field are a bit paranoid. So we have to do the best we possibly can, which, sure. is, which is good. I mean, uh, the quality of it, there's a two-volume set called Extrasensory Perception Support, Skepticism, and Science, uh, edited by my friend Ed May, who was the, the head of the Stargate program. And he went out, he and his colleague Sonali Marwaha went out, and they contacted people who were kind of tops in many fields, And until they found found people in neuroscience and physics and other areas who were willing to look to actually read research in parapsychology, some of the research reports. And most of them, while they may still have been critical of the concepts, were surprised to find the quality of the research was as good as it was because they'd always heard it was terrible. But they'd always heard it was terrible from the skeptics who never read any of it. I mean, this is the problem is that one of my colleagues, Daryl Bem, published uh, an article, a paper in a journal, a mainstream science, a psychology journal, which had a, had a rejection rate, a huge rejection rate. They were very careful. And all these scientists were quoted in the New York Times and every place else at how stupid the research was and how ridiculous it was that, that this journal was going to publish it. And many of the, the reporters actually asked these top scientists in other fields, have you read it? And generally the response was, why would I? Not, I've read it and it's crap, but why would I? And that's not science. That's
1: really not frustrating at all, is it?
2: <laughs> it's, it's what we face in, in the field. There's a taboo in academia, yeah. unfortunately.
4: Yeah. It's just
2: what it, it is what it is, and we'd love to change it, but it's going to take some major funding even for within our field to make it more attractive to people.
1: Is it changing at all?
2: Um. I'd like to say it is, but it, it, it has not really changed. Uh, we There's only a couple of major funding, funding in institutions. We would love to get um, some of the folks who are innovators and mavericks who have funded other types of maverick science to really look at us or to, to even talk to us. But getting to them is not always that easy. And uh, that's where really it's going to have to come. Or it's going to have to come from the demand of the general public. But considering where science is now, battling it for its own existence, given the, the political climate, um, you know, it's a very, very difficult situation for us.
0: So you, you referred to some of your teachings earlier, but can you tell us more about the classes that you're teaching and future classes that you plan on doing?
2: Sure. Well, I teach online classes through the Rhine Research Center, um, The Ryan Research Center is the legacy of the the Duke, old Duke Parapsychology Lab. It's been around since the 1930s. And we have a spread of online courses that you can take either for a grade, if you really want to, if you want to earn a certificate, or you can just simply take for fun. I'm teaching an eight-week parapsychology overview called Introduction to Parapsychology starting on May 10th. One of my colleagues, Ryan Hurd, is actually teaching a general dreams course, uh, a four-week class there as well. I just finished teaching an investigations class, a field investigations class,
5: oh, uh, cool. through the Rhine
2: Center. Yep, and I'll be, we'll be doing again that again next year. Um, and uh, w- there are other courses there, and people can find out about the courses through Rhine R H I N E dot org. The Rhine Center has uh, an education arm, so it's just from the Rhine Education Center. I also teach courses locally and distance-wise, kind of as an audio format. Uh, through HCH Institute here in the Bay Area and I'm just in the middle of a evidence for life after death class and I'm teaching an investigations class starting on the 18th of May Uh, and students basically can call in and then get all the materials also uh, for download as well but they can call in live. We record all the classes so it's more of an audio format and then also spend some time on the phone with me if they're distant students as well but I have students here locally and, and elsewhere for that. And uh, then there will be some psychic, a couple of psychic development qu- modules for a, sh- a course. It's basically um, it's about an, about an eight-hour course of video with some testing, some quizzes in there. That's going to be offered as of May the 4th, when the Church of Jediism goes live on May the 4th. The Church of me. Jediism?
1: <laughs> I, Church I, I, of Jediism. We cannot <laughs> let that go. Un- un-
2: no, please. Yes, please do not let it go on questions. Uh, I am so go very ahead. part of the faculty for the Church of Jediism, which starts on May, which it's, it's up right now. It's uh, tcoj.org or becometheforce.com. Cool. And you'll see a countdown clock right now that's there. And we launch on May the 4th with a lot of free information and. May the 4th? Kind
1: of a- I just got that. <laughs>
2: That's an unofficial Star Wars Day.
1: Oh, I That's love neat. that. That's going to that out. <laughs> uh, we
2: have a bunch of courses that are going up. I'm the the you can take individual courses or the entire five pillar Jedi training, Jettism training. And uh, it'll be a fun thing. We have courses in creativity and mindfulness and self defense and all sorts of fun. No lightsaber courses though.
1: Oh so, I am totally yeah. checking that out. Yeah.
2: And uh, yeah, and the best thing, you know, the courses are gonna be very affordable. The site's out of the U.K., but we'll be doing a lot of things here in the in the United States as well, um, partly because four of us are on faculty are here in the Bay Area, and the others are you know, mostly in the U.K. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun site, and uh, the guy who started it back in 2008 took his website down last year with 500,000 followers at that point so he could reformat it and bring people in to do classes and to do, really, to set up the philosophy. And he's got a book coming out called Become the Force, which comes out in, in November. So oh, book in the fabulous. US. So you'll be hearing a lot about about us <laughs> over the next few months, especially since he's already done tons of media in the in the UK and uh, in other places too. And we'll be doing it can from you, here. Can
1: you hook us up with him so that maybe he could come on our little podcast here? He would be <laughs> great absolutely.
2: to talk to. I sure can, yeah. I'm sure he's sure at some point he'd love to, yeah.
1: Yes, thank nice. you. That would be fantastic. I, I, I just I, I dig that idea totally.
2: Yeah, it's it's really great. We have a, a great mission statement and it's really just teaching people how to live in the force, you might say, but to be to be good people and connect with people. It's not gonna be religious in, in any respect at all. Other than, you know, if you wanna call the force a faith, that's fine. It's up to you. It's really more Excellent. of a philosophy. Uh, what there. you
1: you need to start ordaining people like the uh, church of what's the the, the, uh, universe, the universal life church? No, 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 the, the Big Lebowski guy. There's the Church of Dudism. Oh.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I don't think we're going to be ordaining anybody. But, you know, if you do, but I do have business cards now that say Jedi Master. So I can't say Jedi. I love Yeah.
1: Nice. That's fantastic. And you have some events coming up. I know, for instance, you're coming up here to the Pacific Northwest here in the fall. Right.
2: right. In September, it's going to be the Psy College. So it's at Manresa College. Actually, Manresa Castle, rather cool place i was
1: there last fall yep
2: and Port townsend uh and uh i believe if you well actually if you go to ankasha.com a-n-k-h-a-s-h-a it's my friend ankasha menti who's uh, she's one of the psychics that i work with and she and neil mcneil have started this little college thing and if you go to her website there's a link to her event to that event there and it's also on facebook um, oh. And Julia, Moss, Julia Mossbridge, who is one of my co-faculty members of, of the Church of Jediism, she and I are both going to be there. Uh, and then I'm also speaking at the USS Hornet's Ship of Souls event, which is going to be on 8, August 12th. And that's the USS Hornet Aircraft Carrier Museum here in Alameda, California. And then the first weekend in October is the Chicago Ghost Con. And I'll be there in Chicago for that. So doing a little Fantastic. travel.
1: Okay, and people who want to learn more about you and find your books and all of that?
2: So my books are on Amazon.com, of course. Psychic Dreaming is there. Um, the easiest thing to do is put in my name. And for finding out about me, these uh, one thing you can do is follow me on Twitter. I am at Prof Paranormal, P-R-O-F Paranormal. My website is currently down as we're redoing it. And when it's back up, it'll be mindreader.com. But you'll be able to find out information and connect with me and all my things on the website for the Church of Jediism. If you go to tcoj.org slash Lloyd, and it's Lloyd with one L, L-O-Y-D. That'll be my page. Or just go to the main site, becometheforce.com. and you can get to the faculty that way, too.
0: You're doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, I don't even know <laughs> how
2: you fit all this You're in. You're
1: living the dream, <laughs> man.
2: We shall see. The goal is to get to Comic-Con next year.
1: Oh, well, that would, you know what? That's where you need to be, isn't
0: Mm -hmm. it?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Wow. I feel like we just scratched
0: the surface, as usual. Yeah. (laughs) There's just so much to talk about. But hopefully, you know, we can stay in touch and check in with you again soon. Yeah. Let us know how uh, Become the Force goes. I'm sure it'll be outstanding. I I
1: have a hunch that Cheryl's (laughs) husband, Chad, will be on that site, like, (laughs) on on the
0: He's already sent me a message on Skype. What's that, what's that website again? <laughs>
2: <The> <laughs> so kind of he's,
0: already, <laughs> he's already on the website. Yeah, <laughs> trust me. All right, cool. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us and um, definitely keep in touch.
2: I will. Thank you very All much. Right. All right,
0: thanks. And please stay tuned for our correspondent segments coming up next.
3: Hello, this is Winter Balefire, Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark correspondent. And I'm here live in Los Angeles, California. Recently, I was watching a YouTube channel that I had subscribed to and viewed frequently. However, this particular video was a little different. Here was someone who was giving step-by-step instructions on how to perform a curse. I normally don't comment on these videos, but this time I did. I expressed my concern and explained that magic should be about helping and healing, not harming. And though I respected that is how they chose to practice, Displaying it for inexperienced practitioners without any warning or proper preparation may not be the best idea. She responded and explained that she is a pro-curse witch, and there are many more like her that practice just as she does. This led me to explore blogs and articles on those who consider themselves pro-curse. From what I gathered, these practitioners feel that cursing someone is a way to show confidence and power. They feel this is a way to stand up for themselves and help karma or fate come quickly. As far as the theory that what you put forth comes back, that sending harm or ill will can bring harm to the practitioner, this is not a concern for these witches. They feel that if you believe something bad will happen for your practice of cursing, then it will. If you believe there will be no repercussions, there will be none. Just like the theory that your magic is as powerful as your belief, they feel that not all rules that are set by certain practitioners are appropriate because circumstances differ, and some rules don't necessarily apply to every branch of practice. With the ability to broadcast yourself and live stream anything, anywhere, is it appropriate to display your magical practices? Some witches choose not to publicly practice. Some do. With choosing to publicly practice, you carry a certain responsibility to educate your viewers On proper preparation, protection, and cleansing with these rituals, not just the ritual itself. Some viewers are looking to you for their information on magical practice. This is something to take very seriously. I've witnessed countless people asking questions about magical practices and getting empty or non-informative answers in return. Magical practice is not something to take lightly or approach with a grab-and-go attitude. So, has the ability for anyone and everyone to communicate and visually instruct online made it easier to spread misinformation and lead to dangerous practice? Or, does it make it easier for those who want to practice find the appropriate answers if they are willing to sift through the quick-fix guides? Let me know your thoughts. This is Winter Bellfire for Paranormal
4: Underground Radio in the Dark.
5: I'm Crystal Vermis. and I'm Manny Vega
4: from Salem, Massachusetts. We are your paranormal underground radio in the dark correspondence.
5: We are also the hosts of the All Day Paranormal podcast and All Day Paranormal After Dark, the YouTube show.
4: Find out more about us at GetSpooked.net. Now for our paranormal news segment of the week. Okay, are you ready for some paranormal news? I'm so ready. Why are you laughing? i don't know just having oh, a good time aren't she's aren't only like, funny on the internet no <laughs> you're just having a good time that's yeah. that's the right answer um so i thought this was an april Fool's story because it came out on april fools but uh it took place in the isle of wights and i'm pretty sure they don't have a sense of humor or celebrate <laughs> the april Fools.
5: now R- i mean r.i.p isle I'm of
4: wight I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding my point is <laughs> I don't think this is an April Fool's story because, uh, yeah, I read through the comments and stuff. And okay. if it is, who cares? We can just chalk it up to one of those old, uh, hey, this was fun. I don't think I'm it's glad really... I entertained you. Okay, so, yeah, go for it. <laughs> my story is actually about um, a fami- famous Jimi Hendrix statue. It's haunted... It's haunted. A statue is haunted. Where? So we were actually just talking about um, weird dolls and whatnot being haunted and this person collecting macabre items, but um, statues, I guess, can be haunted, too. Why not? Have you heard the rumor? Like, I guess the idea is that I've heard spirits haunt dolls because they like having it as like a vessel, almost like a body.
5: Yeah, that's, I've, I've heard that exact thing. And so, yeah, it makes sense. So, I mean, sense.
4: maybe that's why statues, too. Who knows? But not as a very story, useful body. It's
5: literally rooted into place. Well, <laughs> it's like metal.
4: Yeah. Um, so as the story goes, paranormal investigators are analyzing mysterious activity around the famous Jimi Hendrix statue on the Isle of Wight. Hendrix's last ever UK performance took place at the Isle of Wight Festival in 1970, and the bronze statue, located in the island's Dimblo- Dimbola Museum and Galleries Garden, was erected in 2006. Joe Hayden said he heard music coming from the area around the statue, and TV show uh, Most Haunted actually has been contacted about it. Barely a night goes by when we aren't serenaded by the spirit of Jimmy and his famed guitar, he said. Just as I nod off, it starts. If it's not Purple Haze, it's all along the watchtower in all its psychedelic glory. (laughs)
5: I do love that. It's a great per- song.
4: <laughs> The performance might only last a few minutes, but other nights it goes until dawn. Would you like it until dawn? Um, no. It's not particularly scary, but after a few nights of no sleep, it does get frustrating. Yeah, I would. I would. I'm not really a believer in ghosts, but this makes you really think. It was a really weird experience and freaked me out a bit. Apparently, most haunted have been contacted and are keen to come down to the islands to find out what's going on. Amateur ghostbuster Flora Pilo from Freshwater said she hoped to capture a spine-tingling performance from Hendrix. She packed a camera and recording equipment and spent three nights camped out at the foot of the statue. Damn. She said, I was shivering in my sleeping bag, praying that Jimmy would put on a show, but nothing happened. I eventually gave up and went home for some much-needed rest. My head had barely touched the pillow when I was woken up by the sound of Jimmy playing Voodoo Child. Oh. It was like he was laughing at me. That one's dope,
0: though. That's good one.
4: <laughs> Well-known island ghost hunter Mark Tucky is keen to organize a tour of the Dimbola site. Mark, who runs the company The Isle of Wight Ghost Experience, said, I've been hearing tales of these Hendrix performances for several weeks. I would love to experience one of his shows myself. The west wide area of the island is renowned for world- worldwide for its ghosts, spirits, and poltergeists. Jimmy will have plenty of company and could easily look at forming a supernatural band from the many wild pirates and smugglers who frequent the area.
5: We don't know if they are actually good at music, though.
4: <laughs> we aren't nicknamed Ghost Island without good reason. I am led to believe that ancient ley lines converge on the island in a similar way that they do at Stonehenge. Hmm. Whether this is a factor or not, I don't know. It's a special place, the Isle of Wight, and I'm not surprised Jimmy feels at home here.
5: That's what do you think of that? Story. I mean hell. Here's
4: the statue. I mean what do you think? If you get to hear Can you describe that for people?
5: Okay, that looks like a what the hell what the hell are those little dots there?
4: Yeah, he looks like he's playing the guitar that you get when you play rock band on yeah, PlayStation. 4. It's like
5: guitar hero. Yeah, you're this just, can't yeah, be a real statue, is it?
4: Yeah, no, it's a real statue. Yeah. Explain it to people.
5: I mean it's literally a statue of Jimmy a bronze statue. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah, it's bronze or something. Um and yeah, he's just playing a guitar and I guess apparently, uh he plays some of the hits every once in a while. <laughs> and I, I mean, we're we're sure this is not like there's no uh recorder secretly behind no. the the place there. Like I
4: like that this guy though is getting annoyed by a ghost playing, like, literally the ghost of Jimi Hendrix, who is probably really good, but he's just I, like, I, mean, I can't take it. Dude, wear some earplugs, okay? Oh, you're getting... Or, like, get off your ass and record it, if apparently it's I'm happening, saying. like, so often. You're
5: getting a free concert from Jimi, Jimi Hendrix here. So, uh,
4: boring. but I don't know. What do you think?
5: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if we're assuming that, uh, you know, there's no secret recorder being hidden behind the old statue there, or someone's not just playing a prank, um, then that's pretty compelling. I don't know where this music would just randomly come from. <laughs> uh, I wonder too, if maybe people are just imagining that they're hearing this music because jimmy henry i was statue. actually
4: gonna say that i actually think it's more so like residual maybe well yeah
5: if it would be anything it would probably be well would it be residual because like it's not like the statue was like touched i thought by it was
4: erected because th- that's where he played no
5: i guess i mean yeah. <laughs> like all right fine okay maybe it's residual then okay it's uh, probably not intelligent but
4: um <laughs> i know this guy over here's just like yeah of course jimmy hendrix is like you know chilling. spending eternity on the isle of white no i'm sorry my friend uh, i'm gonna say he's not it's a nice place it is but it's probably,
5: probably not. I like why amazing. would
4: jimmy hendrix hang out there i don't not know the spot. Oh. um
5: i don't know I, I i think it's cool i think it's a if, it's, if, if anything yeah if it's residual then okay fair and i could see that actually happening um Probably more likely than Jimmy Hendrix just chilling playing the guitar, but the hell, what the hell? That's that's great. You got so a free concert. So what do you
4: have for this week?
5: All right, I'll just, I'll just go to mine now. Uh, <laughs> I have a UFO story. You ready for this?
4: Um, I don't know.
5: It's a pretty wild one, <laughs> so you're gonna have to open up your mind. I think
4: bit. I remember you mentioning it to me, and I'm. I don't know. I'm a little nervous.
5: It's, a, it's not a UFO coming from the sky. It's a UFO coming from the sea. <laughs> yeah,
4: okay, that's why I'm like, oh, God.
5: So I'm just telling you, open up your minds a little bit, guys. Uh, this is covered in uh, mysteriousuniverse.org and many other places. Uh, the story here from Brett Tingley says that a crew of an offshore supply vessel reportedly witnessed a massive UFO rise from the Gulf of Mexico and speed away into the sky. All right, this is according to testimony logged with MUFON and New Fork the National UFO Reporting Center, okay? In the New Fork Report, the chief engineer aboard the unnamed craft claims that on March 21st of 2017, he and four members of his crew witnessed a UFO rise silently from the ocean just before dusk. According to the engineer's testimony, the craft was completely silent, and it even appeared to repel water as it rose from the Gulf. (laughs) Okay, this is the, uh, the quote from the actual report. It says, The scene lasted about 40 seconds, The craft rose up out of the water, Gulf of Mexico, about 40 feet. No water was dripping from the craft. Within a split second, the craft disappeared at a 30-degree angle into the sky. Speed appeared to be faster than the speed of light turning uh, in a room. Within seconds, it had disappeared completely. I can say for sure that the craft was dark-colored, oval in shape, and made no sound whatsoever. New Fork reportedly followed up with the witness by telephone and assures the chief engineer to be a very capable and very reliable witness. According to the reports, the craft appeared to be over five times the size of a supply ship, or I'm sorry, of the supply ship that these people were mm-hmm. on. Um, this is actually what one of those supply ships looks like. If you want to maybe describe how large it is.
4: Um, so I don't want to say it's like, it's not aircraft carrier size, no,
5: but that, yeah, it's not,
4: pretty not, big. It's It reminds me of
5: a really big yacht.
4: Yes, I was gonna say it looks reminds me of one of those like ferries that they used to take cars over to right. other islands, but maybe a little bigger.
5: Exactly, yeah. It's got like a flatbed in the back and a really yeah. large front part of the boat. What is that called? The bow, I think. I yeah, know. really big boat. Um, and so you know, this is a fairly sizable ship. The craft that they saw coming out of the water was five times the size of this ship itself. So that's they're seeing some really seriously sized UFO coming yeah. up out of the water here. Okay. Uh, While there's only one official testimony so far, the chief engineer claims that there are likely dozens of other witnesses aboard an oil rig located near the location of his vessel at the time of the sighting. This incident took place 80 miles southeast of New Orleans, suspiciously close to the location of the 2010 BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Are these two events related? Could the oil spill have been caused by alien visitors in an attempt to wean our fledgling civilization off the perilously <laughs> dirty fossil fuels on which our modern economy depends? Yes. Okay. Probably not, but conspiracy theories still surround the controversial spill, uh, including a slew of allegations of alien interference. More likely, though, this was uh, was this reported, citing some kind of strange, misguided attempt to draw public attention back to the environmental damage caused by the oil spill. Who knows? Until more, more testimony is gathered, this one remains unverified.
4: Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that if that was its goal right there, it didn't do very well because this should have been, like, what, front page of the newspaper, and it wasn't. Yeah, I mean... This massive thing just rising out
5: of the sea. You have a, you have a some sort of craft, five times the size of a supply ship, yeah. which is large enough in itself, apparently rising up from the freaking Gulf of Mexico. And as they say, there's a Gulf, there's an oil rig nearby, so you would think that there must be dozens of people who would have seen this. Right. And yet we only have one report from uh, the New Fork, Mm-hmm. Um, of one chief engineer aboard the supply ship who actually saw it. Are these guys.
4: Oh, what if everyone's memory was erased?
5: What if they're on LSD? Um
4: do
5: <laughs> So you're saying maybe perhaps. Well, like a men, a there's men, too
4: many possibilities. I can't even fathom them all right now. Are you
5: suggesting a men in black situation? Like yeah. where those people on the oil rig had all their. Memories? Why was there
4: only one witness? It's like they forgot to get that one guy's memory erased. Maybe
5: they didn't know the supply ship was nearby and they just forgot to. They didn't get to him in time before they could report it.
4: I don't know. It's just fishy to me that there weren't more witnesses who came forward. It's fishy.
5: To you this story no
4: that wasn't supposed to be a joke <laughs> a little
5: marine humor for the books
4: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't know i want to believe it's real but i can't yet you can't yet no i just need one more person to come through and say that it's real, and then I'll totally believe it.
5: I mean, New <laughs> Fork says they spoke to this guy, and they, uh, you know, they believe uh, him to be whatever.
4: He's credible. A credible. I, I, there's more power in numbers, in my opinion. Power, I,
5: I agree. I do think there's power, at I would least like, in
4: terms of UFOs. I
5: would love to hear a few more people come out. But have you ever heard of this? This whole idea that like aliens were involved in the BP oil spill?
4: No.
5: This, I, this is totally. I didn't know that. It was totally new to me until I read this. But the the, the MysteriousUniverse.org story links to cbsnews.com and apparently back in 2010 they wrote a story about all sorts of conspiracy theories related. To the, the oil spill. I mean, one was that Dick Cheney, you know, of course, the very famous, the, the vice president uh, to George Bush, um, the theory was that he somehow, through his connections to Halliburton, the oil company, uh, helped engineer this oil spill. So that way, uh, you know, some, somehow Halliburton would financially benefit from it because BP is a competitor. That was apparently one specific theory. And also because it occurred during the um, the uh, presidency of Barack Obama. Wait,
4: what does this have to do with aliens, though?
5: No, I'm just talking some of the oh, conspiracy, conspiracy theories.
4: theories. Yeah, oh, yeah, the conspiracy okay.
5: theories. Uh, another theory was that Obama did it himself, because he yep. wanted to have an excuse to put in uh, he all He pressed sorts-
4: a button, and it just, like, all happened. Well, yeah, they,
5: it was like a, play- a false flag type thing. They planned an explosion or something. Yeah. So that way, um, he would have reason to enact all sorts of environmental, right? Those evil environmental regulations that he couldn't wait to get an excuse to enact. Well,
4: thank God those are all being repealed.
5: Um, Anyway, so those are some of the- But then the other theory was that the aliens did it, because, uh, I don't know. Because they
4: wanted to, to draw attention. That's, like, a lot of expense to go to in the form of life- like, I feel
5: like if you're an alien and you're trying to get like, you know, some there sort are of,
4: bad ones out there though, like reptilians. Sure,
5: but if you're trying to influence the human race, wouldn't you just like show up? like because I feel like there's no better way to influence humans if you're an alien than to literally say, "Hey, yo, there's aliens. I'm an alien. I'm here to influence you. <laughs> Listen to me because I literally Mind flew control. here. I literally flew here from another planet." Yeah. That should be enough to influence you, I feel like.
4: Well, they're rising out of the sea. Merely rising out of the sea should be enough. But w- like I said, it's still not on the front page of the newspaper. Yeah, so. That's what I'm saying. Like if
5: if if some alien wants to say like, "Hey, hey, look, planet Earth, you're doing it wrong." You guys need to stop relying on fossil fuels. I feel like it would be influential. Doing it
4: wrong, though, apparently,
5: if, it would be influential enough if they just landed on the White House lawn and came out and said, "Yo, we're aliens. I don't know if you knew this, but we exist, and we think you're doing a bad job of running Earth here." Yeah, that would be pretty influential. They don't have to go through extreme measures like
4: yeah. Well, apparently, part. people have to go to extreme measures these days for a lot of things. I mean, look at what's happening in the world here. Sure, like, I don't know. President Trump is still president. Like, <laughs> what else does he have to do to get impeached? We were just talking about that yesterday. Yeah. So. Aliens—they have a rough going trying to get trying to get us to notice them amidst all the other bullshit happening. Do you think it's
5: just not the same as it was back in the old days no, for aliens? No, totally
4: no. The like, Roswell has come and gone. Yeah, that time's coming. The
5: quaint times of Roswell just aren't gonna aren't gonna fly anymore. No. Nope.
0: If you'd like to be a guest on Paranormal Underground Radio, email editor at paranormalunderground.net. Until next time, keep exploring the unexplained at paranormalunderground.net.